All right, welcome to Christian Life Broadcast, a ministry of Christian Life Center right here in beautiful Palm Coast, Florida, although I think it's raining and raining all day today. Lightning flashes, thunder's rolling, but it's still beautiful. And uh, we are located on 5200 Beltaire Parkway, right at the right across from the library in Palm Coast. And uh, we are enjoying this broadcast so much and enjoying Jesus, enjoying the Christian life. We had some church this weekend. Uh, I encourage you to get on our live stream and, and enjoy the messages that God spoke to the people this weekend. Such a powerful move of the Holy Ghost with deliverance and impartation and victory. And uh, I was blessed to travel. I was in Texas this weekend with a dear friend, uh, Brother Chris Green, who pastors in Dripping Springs, Texas. And we had a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. And uh, God definitely showed up there. And it's good to be back home. There's no place like home. And especially good to be here with you today on this broadcast. And we have a pretty, pretty interesting topic to talk about today in the form of a question And uh, I would say it's a controversial topic, but one that should be discussed from the perspective of uh, of, of Scripture and also Christian history. And the question is, is how many persons are there in the Godhead? How many persons are there in the Godhead? And... uh, it's uh, it's pretty astounding what you'll get if you just Google this, and we're gonna we're just gonna have fun and, and go on a journey today. So the first question I have about this question is number one: What in the world is a Godhead? What's a Godhead? So for somebody coming from a non-Christian background, somebody that's never heard this term before, to hear the word Godhead is like: Is that the head of God? Does God have a head? And is this what it's talking about? What is a what is a Godhead, and why is the head of God important? But the word is is actually a funny English word for a very common uh, topic, and and I want to give you the three scriptures where this is mentioned in the New Testament. If you want to look with me at Acts seventeen and twenty nine, this is the first place it's mentioned. It says in Acts seven seventeen twenty nine, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. Now, again, this is not talking about the head of God. It's talking about something different. And the Greek word is theos, which means uh, the deity, the deity. We're not, we're not to think that the deity is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And so Paul here is is referencing what the pagans' gods are versus what our God is. What's been done throughout pagan history versus what we believe now. We do not have an image of gold or silver or stone graven by art. Man's device, man's ingenuity, imagination came up with this. No, our what we serve is different than what they serve. So that's the first point. And the second place it's mentioned is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And it says... Paul is here removing the excuse that there is no evidence for God. That's what Paul's doing right here. He said, for the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So you should be able to look at creation and clearly see 
that there is a God, being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power, and here's the word, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we are to look at creation and be able to understand his eternal power and his Godhead. And the word here is theotes, which means the divine nature, the divine nature. And so the third place this is mentioned is in Colossians chapter two, in verse eight. Again, this is all Paul. Paul is the only writer that used the term Godhead. Colossians two and eight, he said, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, man's ingenuity, man's thinking, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So there is a way to be spoiled. This, this means that you are being stolen from. It's, the, the terminology would be the spoils of war. Beware lest any man steal from you, take from you spoils. How? Through philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Why is Paul warning us against this? Because all these things were going to be set up by the devil to steal from people Jesus Christ. Okay? And he said, this is the powerful verse right here, Colossians 2 and 9, for in him Christ dwelleth all the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. Another translation says, all of God dwells in the body of Jesus Christ. All of God dwells in the body of Jesus Christ. And this word is theotes, which means deity. I made a mistake on that first one in Acts uh, 17, 29. It's theos, which means divine being. So you have divine being, divine nature, and deity all being translated as the Godhead. I want to do something real quick. I'm going to just type in here in Google. Let's see here. I'm going to say, what is the Godhead? Google is the source of all wisdom and understanding. Here we go. Here's a dictionary. Godhead. Let's see more. So Godhead, according to the dictionary from Google, definitions from Oxford languages, Godhead. Noun Godhead, it, the first definition is God in Christian belief, the Holy Trinity. The Christian doctrine of the three persons of the Godhead. So if you were to go and just Google Godhead, you're going to come up with a definition from Google that says there's three persons in the Godhead, three persons of the Godhead. And those three persons, and you can keep on Googling, you're going to find out it's going to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are the three persons in that Godhead. So just a quick cursory uh, research project on the Godhead on the Trinity, you're going to find out that they believe the Godhead is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three persons in one God. Three distinct, separate, co-equal, co-eternal persons. Separate states of consciousness of the same substance, which is God. And you're going to hear things like God the Father, 
which is scriptural. God the Son, which is nowhere in scripture. That should be an interesting thing to think about and study about. God the Holy Ghost. Okay? And of course, the Bible does talk about the Spirit of God. But, but these, these terms are important. These terms are important. So, so the classic doctrine of the Trinity is that the Godhead is three persons. Here's the first problem. If the Godhead is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then Colossians chapter two and verse nine says that all of the Godhead dwells in the body of Jesus Christ. That means inside of the body of Jesus dwells the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in the Son of God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost dwell inside of the Son of God. If there's three persons inside of God. This is extremely scripturally confusing that there would be three persons inside of one person or three divine, distinct, co-eternal, separate, yet same persons in God inside of a human body. That's a problem that all of the Godhead dwells in the body of Jesus unless God is just one person. Then it's not a problem. So secondly, if there's more than one person in the Godhead, we have to redefine what it means to be a father according to scripture. So I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter one and verse 20. This is just, this is so, so cool. Actually, let's, let's start with verse 18. Matthew 1, 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Notice what it does not say. It does not say she was found with child of the Father. It says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So here what it's saying is the Holy Ghost is the father of Jesus. Watch this, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, talking about Joseph, the angel is is coming to him in a dream. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. What caused the conception of the son of God in the body of Mary was the Holy Ghost. Now look, I've got four children. David, Micah, Benjamin, and Isabella, they're four little parasites. They eat my food, they drink my drinks, and I love them to pieces. I am their father. Joe Campatella, Joseph Paul Campatella is their father. The reason why I know I am their father is because I am the one that caused their conception. The Holy Ghost, the Bible gets that specific with with this, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is causing the conception. If the Holy Ghost caused the conception, that means the Holy Ghost is the Father and not the Father. 
Who's the father the father of? He's not the father of Jesus. God the father is not the father of Jesus. God the Holy Ghost is the father of Jesus. So therefore we have two God the fathers. One is called God the father. One is called God the Holy Ghost, which is actually the father of Jesus, the son. If they're two separate persons, that gets really weird. Not only do we have to redefine father, we also have two Holy Spirits. If God the Father and God the Holy Ghost are two separate, distinct persons, then we have two Holy Spirits as well. Not only do we have two fathers, we have two Holy Spirits. Watch this. And now I am, this is John 17, 11. Jesus said, and now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world and I come to thee, Holy Father. So not only is the Holy Spirit holy, the Holy Father is holy. You have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Father. Watch this. Matthew 10, 20. Not only is the Father holy, not only is the Holy Spirit holy, and the Holy Spirit is obviously spirit, but the Father is holy. And watch what else the Father is in Matthew 10 and 20. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. So the Holy Spirit is holy, and the Holy Spirit is spirit. But the Father is holy, and the Father is spirit as well. So you have two Holy Spirits. One is named the Father and the other is named the Holy Spirit. You have two fathers. One is named the Father and the other is named the Holy Spirit. That gets really weird unless the Father and the Holy Spirit are the exact same person. Just different ways to explain what God is doing. So that's the first two things. Number three if there is more than one person in the Godhead, what are their names? What are their names? I'm going to take a sip of my watermelon hint water through my new Christian Life broadcast cup. Excuse me. So delicious. Have you all had hint water? It's amazing. It's got this like, I don't know if it's, watermelon essence oil or whatever's in there, but it leaves this aftertaste of watermelon, but there's no sugar. It seems totally illegal. It's wonderful. Number three, if there's more than one person in the Godhead, what are their names? So Matthew 28, 19, let's look at this here. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So you got three there, right? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's quite obvious there's three something there. So, so we understand logically that the name of the Son is Jesus. Therefore, if the name of the Son isn't Son, but Jesus, using the same logic, then the name of the Father is not Father. And the name of the Holy Ghost is not Holy Ghost. We know the name of the Son isn't Son. Therefore, what is the name of the Father? Or what is the name of the Holy Ghost? So, of course, to, 
to see that, we go to the place that baptism is actually performed. So Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost. So now let's go to the place where that commandment is actually carried out. And, and it's interesting how the Bible takes care of this dilemma. So Acts chapter two and verse 38, this is the first place that baptism is mentioned. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. In, in, in Mark, he said, beginning at Jerusalem. This is beginning at Jerusalem. Peter's preaching. Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Why does Peter only use the name of the Son? Jesus said, baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Yet Peter seems to only use the name of the Son. What about the other two persons? Let's go to the next place that baptism is recorded in the New Testament. This is where Philip was preaching in Samaria. We talked about this in the last lesson. What is the evidence that you've received the Holy Spirit And we talked about that. You should go watch that. It's wonderful. Acts chapter eight and verse 16 is giving us kind of a a parenthetical moment in this story where God is working mightily in Samaria. Um, They had all believed, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. And he says in Acts 8, 16, for as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what about the persons of the Father and the Holy Spirit? Why again, the second time baptism is recorded, why again is only the name, seemingly the name of the Son being used? Again, let's look at Acts chapter 10. In verse 48, this is the third time that baptism is, is explicitly commanded and carried out in Scripture. Acts 10, 48, Peter commanded the Italians he was preaching to. Chapter 10 of Acts, or chapter 10 of the book of Acts is so incredible because it, it takes the gospel out of the Jewish nation to a bunch of Italians, and, and it, it worked for, doesn't matter what nationality, nationality you are, uh, this, this message works. And so Peter's finishing his message and he sees that they're being saved just like the Jews were being saved. And in verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And this is not just the Lord of heaven in general. The Greek here is in the name of the Lord Jesus. The ESV, the NIV, every other translation says in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, it seems like they're leaving out the persons of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Why are they only using the name of the Son? Let's look at another place. Acts chapter 19. Paul, this is now Paul preaching to some disciples that he found at Ephesus and he teaches them about receiving the Holy Ghost and he teaches them about baptism and and they get it. And verse five says in chapter 19, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, no mentions of the persons of God the Father or God the Holy Ghost. Let's look at another place. This is Acts chapter 22. In verse 16, Paul is telling his own 
testimony about his baptism and how he came to Ananias and, and God used Ananias to, to pray him through and, and show him the right way. And at the end of their conversation, verse 16, Ananias said to Paul, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, it's only in reference to the son. Where is God the father? Where is God the Holy Ghost? So what's going on here? Why are these persons in God being neglected and only one person in God, if there's three persons in God, why is only one person of God being emphasized in baptism every single time? Acts 8, Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 8, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, Acts 22. And it seems to be in a direct contradiction to the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 19, go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What is going on? The Bible takes care of this because it doesn't say names. If they were three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons in one God, you would need names. But it says baptize them in the name, singular. There's only one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So if there's more than one person in God, then the Father is being neglected in baptism and the Holy Spirit is being neglected in baptism. Unless there's only one name that covers the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unless when you say Jesus, you're talking to the Father. When you say Jesus, you're talking to the Son. When you say Jesus, you're talking to the Holy Ghost, unless that's the case. So let me tell you, according to Scripture, how many persons there are according to the Bible. The only time God and person are joined together, it's singular, as in one. Hebrews chapter one and verse three. Actually, I'm gonna read from one so we get context here. Hebrews chapter one and one. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, many manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So the he here is in reference to God, who being in the brightness of his glory, the son being in the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, the son is the express image of his God's person. There's not three persons in God. There's only one person. It's not three persons that make up the Godhead. The Godhead, the deity, the divine nature, the divinity is only talking about one person. And all of that divinity, all of that divine nature, all of that deity, according to Colossians 2 and 9 in Paul's teaching, dwells inside of the body of one man, Jesus Christ. So when you say Jesus, the single name of the Son, the Father is actually in the Son. You're talking to the Father because the Father is living inside of the Son. 
And the Father's not different from the Holy Spirit. The Father's holy, the Father's spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the Father. It caused the conception of Jesus Christ. It's the same exact person explaining to us with these different words how he operates in different manners. But when you say the name of Jesus, you're talking to the Father. I've talked to people in Bible studies that explained to me that they tried to divide up their prayer time between the person of God the Father and the person of God the Son and the person of God the Holy Ghost. I was reading some articles today about how in our prayer we neglect the person of the Holy Spirit. We talk to the Father and we talk to Jesus, but we neglect the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. When you say the name of Jesus, you're talking to the name of the Holy Spirit. You're talking to the name of the Father. When you say Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 14, I want you to look at this with me. John chapter 14. So Jesus, this is a great chapter to study. It's a phenomenal chapter to study to understand this concept. I'm gonna just start reading. John 14 and one, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, the father, my father. So there's me and then there's the father. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, you know where I'm going and the way you know, you know how I'm going there. And so he's talking about himself. He's talking about the father. He's talking about going to the father. He's talking about about a place he's going. And, And Thomas is like, what in the world's going on? Verse five, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where you're going and how can we know the way? Verse six, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me. You have to go through the son to get through the father. What does the son represent? The son represents the man, Christ Jesus. You have to go through the man, Christ Jesus, to get to the father. Then he says something even more profound in verse seven. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Now we're good at that point because, you know, I'm kind of like my dad too. I have a long nose like my dad. I have a chest, a non-existent chest like my dad. Uh, I have the same last name as my dad. And I can say, well, if you know me, you kind of can get a picture of my dad. Jesus said it. If you know me, you should have known my father also. But, but there's a colon there and, every, and everything goes haywire if they're two separate persons. And from henceforth, from this point forward, you know him and have seen him. Who in the world are they looking at? They're looking at the son. And he said, uh, from this point forward, you know who the father is and you're looking at the father. And Philip caught it. And he said, Lord, show us the father, verse eight, so we can be satisfied, it sufficeth us. Verse nine, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, Philip, yet hast thou not known me? He ain't talking about the father. He's talking about himself. Have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. How sayest thou then show us the father? And here's the entire revelation. Verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that 
dwelleth in me. He does the works. What you're seeing here is a phenomenon called an incarnation, Philip. On the outside, you're looking at the sun, but the one that's speaking through the sun, the sun is just the conduit. The sun is just the channel through which the, the father is flowing through. The sun is the veil that houses the glory in the tabernacle. It's that flesh, that veil of flesh. He said, but when you see the sun, it's the express image of the father, according to Hebrews 1. And, and the words that I'm speaking, it's not the flesh that's speaking. It's the spirit, the father that dwells in me that is speaking to you. So, so powerful. So what's going on, Pastor Campatella? What's going on is the one single God took a journey. He took a journey for the redemption of man, for the justification of humanity to be free from sins. I want you to notice what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The great apostle Paul who explained to us in Colossians 2 and 9 that inside of the body of Jesus is all of God. Watch what he says in 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, I've heard people who believe in three persons in God use this scripture. It's just a mystery. You're never going to understand how there's three in one, and but there's one, but there's three, but there's three in one. They're co-equal, co-eternal, but they're all the same, and it's just one. That's a mystery. That's an unfathomable mystery fathomable mystery, but that's a hard word to say. But Paul says here, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Then he explains it. It's a mystery, but it's a revealed mystery. It's a mystery, but it's not an unsolvable mystery. It's a mystery that was waiting to be revealed at the right time. Here's the revelation. God, not a part of God, not one person in God, not just God the Son, all of God as it was in Colossians 2 and 9 was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What's that? God's taken a journey. God came down from heaven, entered the body of a man, ministered to the world through that man, and let that man die on a cross, and the blood of that man would be shed as the spotless lamb to then be applied back to humanity for their salvation. God took a journey. Watch what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19. To wit or to understand that God, all of God, was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. The division that occurred between God, God the Father in the garden between Adam and Eve and God the Father because of sin, that division that occurred, God says, okay, I have to make this Right, I have to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost, the relationship, the communion between God and man. And so God entered the body of his son. He caused the conception of his son, then entered the body of his son, and then reconciled the world unto himself using the mediation of that human body. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I want you to see this. God took a journey. This is one of the most powerful scriptures. I, I love it so much. And I'm going to put the Hebrew definition up here. I don't know if you can get all that, but Isaiah 12 and 2, watch this. Behold, God is my salvation. Elohim is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song 
he also is become my salvation. Now, how can God, who fills all time and space, become something he already isn't? He is also become my salvation. What in the world is Isaiah talking about? God can't develop. God can't progress. He's all in all. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He fills all space, all time. He, how can God become something he is not? But he said, he has also become my salvation. You know what the word for salvation is? I think y'all know exactly where I'm going here. Watch this. Yeshua. Yeshua. What is Isaiah saying? Jehovah is my strength and my song. Behold, Jehovah is also become my Yeshua. He has become my Jesus. What happened when the fullness of time had come? God caused a woman named Mary, God, almighty God, the person of God, caused Mary to become pregnant with a little human boy. And as soon as that little boy was conceived in her, the God that caused the conception entered into that humanity. And then when that baby was born, God, the invisible God, began to manifest himself through that son to all the world. So the question, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There's only one person. The Godhead Godhead is in reference to one single person. Colossians 2 and 9 tells us that Jesus is not in the Godhead. What the Trinity teaches us is that Jesus is in the Godhead. God the Son is in the Godhead. But what Colossians 2 and 9 teaches us is that Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead or all the divinity is in Jesus. It's inside of the body of Jesus Christ. What a great discussion. There's literally, we could go on this for weeks. But I just wanted to bring these questions to you and these scriptures to you for your thought, for your prayer. I know I'm coming up against a tradition here that is firmly entrenched. It began in the Catholic Church, solidified in the Catholic Church in 325 AD in the Nicene Council, where they solidified this teaching of God in three persons. And in the Protestant Reformation, it continued on into the Protestant denominations that came out of the Catholic Church. They kept this, but it never was in the church. If you were to ask the apostles, Peter, can you please explain explain the Trinity to me? Paul, can you please explain the Trinity to me? They would look at you like, the Trinity, what? What in the world are you talking about? To wit that God was in Christ, all of God, every part of God was reconciling the world unto himself in the body of Jesus Christ. So I hope it was a blessing to you. And I would love to see your comments on this. If you've got comments on these broadcasts, we would love to see them. Questions, concerns, smart remarks, whatever you got, send them. And if there's topics that you would like for us to discuss, we would love to discuss them and cover the topics from the perspective of Scripture. And I want to tell you, if you want to live the Christian life, you've got to break away from tradition. This is another thing Paul was telling us, that that Scripture in Colossians chapter 2 is so powerful. He said, beware lest any man steal from you, spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit traditions of men, rudiments of the world, the things that men creates and cause religion, that stuff will steal from you. He said, do not let these things steal from you for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
You've got to break away from tradition and look at what the Bible says about this. There's one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Echad means one. And the Hebrew word Echad can mean singular, singularly one, numerically one, or it can mean one in unity. But when Jesus quoted this scripture, now I got to go to it. My God, it just, I could, I literally could go on and on, but I think I have to do this. Let me, uh, this is in Mark 12. This is so good. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them, well, asked him, which is the first or the greatest commandment of all? Jesus answered him and he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So the one in Hebrew, ichad, can mean one in unity, like this church is one or this city is one or America is one, or it can mean singularly, numerically one. In the Greek, Jesus used the word, watch. Ice. The Greek word is, is, is heis or ice. It means the numeral, the primary numeral one. Just one, one single. So when Jesus quoted from the Hebrew, he said, he said there's only one God. There's only one God. There's only one person in God. And his name is Jesus. That's why all the apostles use that name in baptism. We hope this was a blessing to you. God bless you in Jesus' name. And I pray that this revelation would get a hold of you and that it would cause you to go deeper in the word of God, deeper in your walk with God and have a more powerful, fruitful Christian life. Because we here at Christian Life Center can testify that the Christian life is the best life. God bless you in Jesus' name. And we'll see you soon. 